it's such an intense environment. Like that's why it's like, we all have war stories and it's almost like becoming famous, right? Like the person you started off before you knew were like hustling to get bit parts in movies and then you become a big star and like things change. So there's this like weird evolution and to like, I haven't been at a company yet that's been like we work, but you know, like you get, you get glimpses of that and like what can happen after different rounds of funding and you know, people change. much for tuning in to episode six. Today I'll be speaking with my friend Amanda, whose business provides fractional CMO services. Basically that means that she leads marketing for a bunch of different startups rather than working in-house at just one. So she has a wealth of knowledge on how to stand up these early go-to-market teams. And she's the first of many guests that I plan to bring on who are not actually CS leaders themselves. Because as I'm sure many of you would agree, customer success is not just a team, it's not just a department. Rather, it's the philosophy and the practice of aligning customer objectives with company objectives. So I hope these new perspectives are insightful. I'm Sarah Roberts, and you're listening to Success Unscripted. Oh, well, hello. Hello. How are you? Um, hanging in there. So last week was the first week back from Thanksgiving and like Maddie's entire class is just wiped oh, out, yeah. hand, foot and mouth and RSV. So I was like trying to, to escape it. And um, anyway, she got it last week when Dan was traveling and now he's traveling again. And I'm just like waiting for a call from daycare because she's been coughing. I'm like worried when she's anyway. Kids. Well, at least she has daycare. Hugo's closed the whole week of Thanksgiving. And then this Thursday is a half day, no aftercare. Friday, they close at 11, no aftercare. And then they're closed for two weeks. I'm like, you guys have been closed for three of six weeks in the holidays. Is this a daycare or a school? Well, I mean, you can start your kid there at age two. So I don't know if your kid's in school at age two. Like, right. like it's, it's more school, but like, let's be clear. We're all sending them there for care. Like, take care. Take care. Get out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Like, get the fuck out. Right. right. And um, can I say that on this? Hopefully this isn't recording. But it's it's one of those where I'm just like, like, why am I paying you full, full rent yeah. when like, like in no business, does it work this way? I know. Like I, my job, I can't take three out of six weeks off. Right. That's part-time. Anyway, anyway, so we're just going to have to sort of divide and conquer. And then of course we have the third parent, which is called the TV. So yep. Oh yeah. I, I know that one. Well, the square babysitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to win parent of the year, but like, this is what we need to do. But now it's like, there's this shaming, this parent yes. shaming. So I, much shame. Like I'm, an, I'm done with this parent guilt. Like I'm a very good mom, but I also like, there are moments where I'm like, okay, let's just put monsters on. Sometimes mom needs a break. I'd probably rather be watching a movie together than like, you know, everybody yeah. on little devices. Yeah. Oh, anyway, okay. Um, neither here nor there. Neither, yes, neither here nor there. Um, so you're a little bit unique, or you're my first guest that is not specifically a CS leader currently. And I'm going to have more people on, like my, I'm going to have a um, salesperson on here, my old friend Patrick, who's VP of technology at uh, Databricks, and like talking to people who are outside of CS to kind of get that perspective as well. And hopefully yeah. that'll help um, elevate it to, to, to professionals that maybe don't give it as much thought and consideration as they should. So, yeah. so, but I think it'd be helpful for you to describe your journey, but then also what you do now, because I, 
it's another reason I wanted to have you on here is because you don't just work with one company, you own yep. your own business and, and partner with a bunch of different marketing orgs. So we can go way back to the, to the old school days and like in utero, like <laughs> back when I was born, um, <laughs> although maybe it's worth noting that I'm technically gen X. So, you know, if people want to gauge my perspective and experience, um, I'm, I'm on the cusp of being a millennial. So, mm. you know, I do things like pick up the phone and call people, you oh, know, which yeah, it's crazy. Right. But I don't um, think you no. ever called me. Not even in Denver while we were coordinating. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 When you're physically here. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's my millennial part. I don't pick up the phone to like chit chat with people. It's mostly like for work. If I'm like, why are we slacking 15 times? Like, can we just get on the phone and hash yes. this out in five minutes? Yes. But I, I, I don't, beyond what I just touched on, I don't think we need to go much further back. Um, okay. But my, we can start with my first like post-college graduation role, um, which, well, technically was an event planning, but after a brief hiatus over in France and like living over there and doing all the things, I came back and started working at my first startup company. And this was Orometrics was the name of the company. And we had a service called SureSmile that shortens the time you wear braces. Oh. And this is, uh, they were headquartered in Richardson, which is outside of Dallas, Texas. And I moved there, but a lot of the salespeople or the two salespeople each had certainly, you know, 15 years of sales experience, um, if not more. And so I started off, even though I wanted a sales job in customer success. And so my very first role at a startup company was answering phones to answer questions and, you know, take down people's frustrations or complaints or all of the things that happen when one is in customer success. And it's, it definitely shaped the rest of my time at that company, but it, it also shaped my time and my entire career beyond that. So I'm currently um, the founder of Arch Collective, which is a marketing services company that provides fractional CMO as well as a plethora of other marketing services. And, and so, you know, that experience being on the front line and dealing with people who don't get how something works or they're frustrated by the experience or sometimes they just need to vent and you are the person that they get to take out the fact that their kid's daycare was canceled. And so your technology was frustrating and you pick up the phone and they're like unleashing on you. Um, but the while I was in that role for a very brief period of time, it was about geez, um, maybe nine months or so before I was given and given a sales territory, I basically um, harassed the VP into giving me a sales territory because I wanted to be in sales. But why I think it's so important and where if people are in customer success and they're thinking about um, career progression is that I channeled that experience and being able to preempt what are all the things that frustrated people? What is going to make them mad when using this technology? And when I was in sales, um, my very first full year in sales, I was number one in new logos and I was also number one in utilization. Now, subsequently, I was not number one in new logos every other year. I was usually number two, but I was number one in utilization every year. And I tie that back to the fact that going in, I already knew the objections. I knew what they were calling to complain about. And I also knew who are the people that were using the technology and that I needed to make sure that when I was selling the technology, I was selling them as well. So like customer success to me, it's, it's like primary research in a way, right? Like you're getting everything. And is it fun being on the receiving end? No, but I, I found a way to channel that into like my success in, in sales. And then I ended up taking a marketing role at that company. Um, and then I ended up going to get my MBA at UNC, University of North Carolina, Keenan Flagler Business School. After I graduated, I worked for a startup for a brief period of time and then went and worked um, at MarketBridge, which is a digital marketing consulting firm. Gotcha. Okay. And then after uh, um, MarketBridge, went to CoreLogic, which is one of the largest providers of real estate data and analytics, led innovation, and then eventually marketing. And that was super interesting, learned a ton. Um, and eventually 
towards the end of my time there, um, after leaving on maternity leave a couple of times and coming back and there not being a lot of progress, I was like, I miss the pace of the startup world. I miss the impact that I feel like I'm making um, on a speedboat versus on the proverbial, you know, Freightliner, Titanic, however people like to use the phrase. And so during my transition out of CoreLogic, was in final rounds for CMO roles with four different companies. And it was in that moment, I'm like putting together business or excuse me, marketing plans. And I'm like, these are all the same plans. I could literally go work at all these companies and I'd get a really good paycheck and I'd be able to be super efficient because I'm helping them knock down the same barriers. And once I said it out loud, the, the builder in me, the entrepreneur in me was like, I got to go do this. And I did. And here I am four years later, dozens of companies later. Awesome. I want to circle back to that very first role. It's interesting because the role that you described to me where it's a reactive picking up the phone, dealing with customer complaints, that sounds like support to me and a little bit less like the proactive customer success that, you know, that, that organizations today are adopting. Um, Yet you still, even that in that role, were able to see the value in translating that to insights that helped you with sales and probably helped you as well in marketing and, and certainly are helping you now. So I think it's, um, I think it's just interesting and I don't know what my, if I have a question in here, but, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's part of the problem sometimes with more old school leaders that don't get customer success, they think of it as a cost center and they think of the old school support organizations where you're not driving revenue and you're not driving product development. Because back before SaaS, you know, it's like instead of buying a Microsoft license, you went to the Apple store and you bought a Microsoft disk and you used that until you had to get a new computer and it didn't, you know, and you needed a new, a new disk. Um, and so people couldn't switch. You're absolutely right. Like that's definitely my experience was more of the old school. And, and where at that time we did track tickets and we had some like software support to what we were doing. We were not at the sophistication level of where customer success is that we we're more customer right. service or customer support. Yeah. However, if we know, Hey, this is what's causing churn in our organization. Let me address that with a different process or this type of training or FAQs before someone gets onboarded. And so while there wasn't this systematic approach, because one, it was it was a startup and this was in the early 2000s and you know things have evolved in those 20 years. But like there is an example of like what on a far greater level sophisticated organizations or well-run customer success teams are doing where they're saying, how do I translate this data that I'm getting from these mm -hmm. calls, from these inputs, from these interactions, from how they're opening emails or what have you? And how do I translate that into providing a better experience, providing, you know, a longer lasting relationship, you know, yep. extending the lifetime value and making that mm -hmm. more profitable for the organization? So I, my experience was on the cusp of when a lot of those things happened, but I yeah. personally got to experience how that translated on a very manual way yeah. of implementing it. Yeah. Um, so because you have this perspective of having worked in multiple organizations, but now worked with many different startups, if there were like, if you could describe an ideal working relationship between marketing sales and customer success, what would that look like? So, and I don't know if this is overused, but it, it's how I think about it, but like the proverbial three-legged stool, right? There isn't, if you take one away of any one of those functions, there's, it's going to get wobbly, right? Some, it's not going to be as solid as it would be if those three groups are playing well together. And so the, you know, with marketing and sales, I feel like that seems to be more obvious. Like, hey, marketing's got to fill the top of the funnel and drive brand awareness and all that good stuff. Um, and then provide support through sales enablement and other ways to help those leads move through the funnel. Mm -hmm. But there's the secondary funnel, which is, you know, once that that 
lead converts into a paying customer or client, well, then there's a whole other funnel that takes place with that customer, right? Mm -hmm. How do you potentially upsell and cross sell them? How do you, you know, retain them? How do you get them driving referrals or whatever the goals of that particular organization may be? Well, customer success and marketing, we should be holding hands in that process, right? It isn't that marketing should be telling customer success what that is, but, you know, customer success should be able to say, hey, marketing, these are the goals that we're trying to achieve, trying to achieve. Um, let's say it's drive retention. I have a client where like there's some churn issues and we're talking a lot about that. And it's like, well, like where are they falling off? You know, like what's happening? Like, let's look at the data because then is there an opportunity to interject marketing at that place? Is there, um, is there like a video training tool that we can send via email is, and this is obviously going to involve product, but it's like, do we need to, you know, put a hypothetical video within the product itself so that if this is where people fall off, let's say after 30 days in, because they start utilizing some part of the software, well, cool, let's put that in there. But then marketing, why don't we talk about that feature in our social posts or in our newsletter or, you know, at our next event or whatever different, you know, marketing tools are in the proverbial belt. And so I think it's the, and this is not new or rocket science, but it's communicating like customer success, let us know what your goals are. And then how can marketing support um, support those goals? I actually just used this analogy today. Marketing shouldn't be thought of as, as McDonald's where customer success comes to us and says, hey, marketing, I need a hamburger or I need mm -hmm. an email or I need a video. It's more like marketing's job is to say, when you come up to the window and you're, you're like, I'm hungry. And we say, okay, like, and, you know, what are your goals? It's like, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm training for a marathon. I'm trying to build muscle or I'm trying to get my cholesterol down. Like we're a nutritionist, right? We're not a drive-in window. And so part of our job is to triage based on your goals. How can we best support you? And then we collaborate on getting those tools to you and implementing them and all that good stuff. So mm -hmm. that's that's how I perceive it. You know, I know you work with a lot of um, different organizations too. So I'm curious if if that analogy or metaphor yeah. lands. It does. And I, and what I love about it is there's so much that customer success can learn from marketing in terms of, you know, how to, how to understand that funnel and how to understand like utilization, you know, open rates versus like how often are they, logging into the product, you know, it's, it's yep. kind of similar engagement, just different sides of the sale. Yep. And I, and I do think that particularly in startups where there are fewer resources that learning how to share those resources effectively is really, really important because otherwise you're wasting time, you're duplicating efforts, like knowledge base. Um, there's a lot of information there that you know, like you said, FAQs or whatever, um, that marketing could probably spin up really quickly or vice versa. And, and that information coming from a success team could help with marketing materials. But yep. I guess the, the challenge that I see is that it does it 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 does it it it's so different at different organizations and i feel like i say this on every episode but like yeah. like at gorgeous we were building out i mean this is once you know when when elise is approaching like a 70 person team and so she has um basically an onboarding team uh an ops team a scale team which is dealing with you know engaging customers um lots of customers at once, one to many, yep. um, which is also something marketing can help with. Mm -hmm. There's also a customer education team yep. that was actually building out the LMS. So there are so many areas where the needs and also the expertise, there's some overlap. And I mean, that's what I love about helping people from a talent function is that, or a talent perspective is that it does have to do with what are your goals? What's your budget? 
who do you have on the team and what are their existing strengths? Um, but then also a variety of different factors and what's your market and what does your customer look like and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but I think that collaboration and the communication, I think, and in, in you, you mentioned the word ego when we were talking briefly before to kind yeah. of prep of what we wanted to talk about. And I think that that, that can often get in the way. Um, and, and it's, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the challenge, right? Is figuring out where, where is that handoff? Who is responsible for what? And then when someone's coming to you, they may think that they're being helpful because they do know their customer and they have done some of these pieces at another organization. And they're like, Hey, I really think an FAQ would work well, or I really think this type of video would work well. Yep. So it's, it's that, it's that delineation and, um, specification of, of what people should be responsible for is, yeah. is really challenging and it's, and it's different. Well, and one thing, and I, I want to come back to this, that it's not to say that if someone from customer success said, Hey, we're getting a, we're getting fall off at the same point. Like we really need, you know, like, I think we need a video because of A, B and C that I'd be right. like, you don't need to come to me. It's like, you're right. Sometimes they have the yeah. data and the information. And, and I didn't mean to say so. that you have an ego. I, the, <laughs> well, I mean, hey, we all do, right? No, but well, yeah. yeah but we um, <laughs> the but I think the the challenge that that you're you're circling around is is some you know sometimes starts or often starts at the top, and you'd be shocked at, or maybe you wouldn't be, but like how often there isn't that strategic planning and alignment of goals at the company, because yes. I'll go back to if let's say I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say the company is like, I want to make a hundred million dollars this year. Okay. 10% coming from new logos and 90% coming from retained clients. Okay. Well then when you come to me saying, I want all of this top of funnel activity. And yes, I know we need to keep that machine going. You don't just like turn it off and on willy nilly. Mm -hmm. But like, then as a marketer, more of my time should be spent making sure that that 90% of retained income or upsell, cross-sell, or wherever we want to frame it, that's where marketing needs to be focused. And we still need to be doing activities to keep the funnel going and all the like keeping the lights on activities. But if we don't ever all have that conversation and let's say, you know, sales knows, okay, we only have 10% new logos and customer success is responsible for more for a majority of the um, the revenue, then they're going to get upset that marketing isn't paying more attention. So mm. I guess the whole thing is like having these strategic conversations and then the leaders of these groups being a part of that and then aligning to say, okay, we all know that this is what sales is doing. This is what customer success. This So this is how marketing is going to support. Those don't happen very, those don't happen a lot and then what happens is the people there to execute, that's where there, there is often the tension or the friction. Yeah. And then ego comes into play because you're like, look, what I'm doing is important. Why aren't you prioritizing what I'm doing? And right. Because there hasn't been the alignment at the top. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like it doesn't matter who does it. You know, if marketing's doing the engagement emails and managing that part of the funnel or customer successes, like as long as it's stated at the outset. Yeah. Well, if hypothetically that company makes a hundred million dollar target or what have you, it is not marketing. It is not sales. It is not customer success. It's not product. It's not finance. It's not IT. It's not all those things individually. It is, they met that hundred million dollar target because all of those people did their role well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you do work with those orgs where there's clearly an attitude problem or a communication problem or just a lack of strategic thinking problem at the top, I mean, I'll tell you one of the things I love about working for myself is that I don't have to put up with any of that bullshit. <laughs> And I just walk away, you know, and usually I have enough clients where like there are ones waiting in the wings. Yeah. Do you, as a CEO and founder, 
that's partnering with these organizations. You are not a W-2 employee. What's your approach? So we're... Some of it, kind of going back to the not being a W-2, is a bit of a forcing mechanism to drive a strategic conversation. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, for example, if if I'm going to come and work for you and you're going to pay me a retainer for twenty, like every month of 2024, how am I defining success for your organization? Right. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, well, then I always like to tie it back to the business goals. So kind of going back to my nutritionist versus McDonald's, you know, give you your food. It's like, okay, you tell me that we're trying to hit a hundred million in revenue, or we need X number of this type of client or whatever the metrics are. And then I'll come to you and say, here's how marketing can support those goals. And here's the budget that we need. And so the I think the advantage of not being a W-2 is that it's a little bit like, well, I got to write a scope of work for me and I got to know what I'm doing. So like we got to figure out what this looks like. Well, even when even with that in mind, oftentimes what I do is I I say, here's what I hear your goals to be, because if you're not telling me let me at least put something there. You know, I hear that you need to do A, B, C, and D this year. And then if they say, I can't get any more granular than that, and that sounds about right, then I'm like, well, then I'm going to build a scope of work and a marketing plan to support these goals. Should these goals change, that will also change as well. But like, let's at least start here. And, you know, in fairness, it's like, Sometimes I'm coming in at a weird time of year or there's been an org change or they've got funding. And so they're like, oh, we hadn't thought through marketing, which is not uncommon. We told, you know, the when the investors, yeah, we need it to do, you know, to get more customers and to do more advertising. But beyond that, I don't know what anything else I, I need to do. So some of it is being, you know, like, OK, cool, like we're dealing with imperfect information and I'm someone who's comfortable, like I don't need perfect inputs to give you a plan. I'm like, give me what you can give me and I'll come up with something. Um, Which if you can't do that, I'd say, you know, marketing in the startup space is probably not for you. (laughs) But, (laughs) but I, that's sort of how, and I, and frankly, like I've, I've gone through this multiple times in the last few years where it's been a bit of like a me driving those conversations because I need it to do my job. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. Well, yeah. And it's something that, everybody should be doing for all roles. And I think that's where sometimes, like if you heard the the Mickey episode and he talks about these different layoffs and like, yeah. um, and firings. And like, sometimes it was literally because they just didn't know who they needed or what they wanted this person to do. And you hire somebody. And if you don't know, okay, these are the outputs that I expect from you once you're hired, how are you going to hire the right person? And how are you going to judge their performance once they get there? But people you know, in startups, it's like, you know, what do they, what do they say? Build the, the plane while you're flying it or something? Yeah. Well, quick, quick jump in there. Um, exactly that point. There is a phenomenal book. It's super easy to read. It's called Who. And if you have show notes, I can get you the author after this. Oh, I yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think that might be the one that Andreessen always recommends to their portfolio companies when they're hiring. They, they, this, the group who wrote it, the consulting group and the names, again, I'm, I apologize, it's escaping me, but they have worked with some big name clients like banks and VCs, I think, and private equity firms and hedge funds. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if, if that's one of their clients. But that's the whole premise is that every single employee, like sales is easy and even customer success to have like, what is the criteria you're being evaluated on because they're such data-driven um, functions. Yeah, but like everyone should have that. So if if you're someone that's hiring or needs to hire, I could not recommend this book more. Yeah. In fact, I have like tons of notes, and when I'm interviewing, I still use the questions that they recommend. So I I'm a I'm a I love the book. It's very good. Yeah, I've read it, but I not in years, so I'll have to revisit it. Um, let's talk about. I want to talk about data and technology, because if we're talking about creating alignment between marketing, sales, and customer success, a lot of times they live in different tools and the data flows 
can be a little janky um, yeah. or there's just not visibility because, you know, they're living in different, you know, because CS doesn't have a Salesforce license and they're using Zendesk. What's what's your take on on the ideal setup of of because it's all customer data, right? I mean, shouldn't it oh, all live yes. in the same place? I mean, should it? Yes. Um, <laughs> this is certainly as a marketer, and I can imagine how in customer success it would be too, but it is not uncommon that they do live in disparate systems. And I, I have a client right now that I'm working with and we're dealing with this exact same thing. In fact, we wanted to measure the channel, the best channel to drive leads, but not just top of the funnel leads, but like those that actually converted. Uh -huh. And I think we've spent 11 months. In fact, the first version of just like the, the gr beginning pieces of it was finally implemented. So I basically mm -hmm. been operating marketing, not knowing this for 12 months. Um, but the, I think like, if I had to say like, what's a, a tool that I think works well in general, like HubSpot is probably the one where you've got sales, you've got success and you've got marketing all in one, assuming that the, the customer is using all three of the different hubs. And, and I, I have to hand it to them because it's a very easy to use tool. The mm -hmm. data can all be in one place. And then you less expensive than it. Salesforce. What's that? It's less expensive than Salesforce. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've had conversations with customer success people that love Salesforce, but again, going back to startups and this isn't a knock on Salesforce. In fact, I'm looking at their tower right now outside my window, <laughs> but um, they, uh, Stands there right now. I think they are, they are a very robust tool, but they can often like a lot of startups don't have the deal flow or the need or even the client base that necessitate the expense and the overhaul. Like it's just a, it's like a, it's like driving a bus when you have one kid to take to school. You're like, I don't need a bus to take my one kid. I love that analogy. Yeah, no, I mean, you're so right. And like, even just setting up a Salesforce instance and making sure that like, yeah, I mean, you, you need to pay a consultant thousands and thousands of dollars. And um, I mean, Dan's customers that he works with, like it's like Salesforce, but they also, also have like Accenture and Bain and all of these, right. like, and he's leading these, these strategy conversations with like 50 people that yeah. a lot of them aren't even with the customer, but like, that's how yeah. complex it is. And so I love Salesforce, don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, HubSpot, I certainly think it has its place, right? There are organizations yeah. that absolutely should have it. Um, but again, with the lens of a, a startup, it's rare and there are exceptions. So don't get me wrong, but like most of my clients, I would advise them to stick with a HubSpot or something that has a lot of the functionality is very easy to use, but then has all that information in one place because mm -hmm. I mean, it's not uncommon for us to get on the phone and have calls and like a majority of the conversation takes place within HubSpot to be talking through yeah. the data and, and um, what's going on there. Yeah, I'm, I actually use HubSpot and um, have paid for like a single license of Salesforce just for myself <laughs> because I was like, no, I have to use Salesforce. Um, and then I was looking at Zoho and all these different ones, but HubSpot yeah. is great. And I think I, I don't even think I pay for my license, but even just having information about all the conversations I'm having in one place, because it used to be LinkedIn, but I'm not paying eight grand right now for my LinkedIn recruiter license. And so all of those notes that I've taken over the years, I exported them and put them into HubSpot, yeah. but otherwise would have been lost. And yeah. so HubSpot is just for the price point and just like the, like even for a personal, like my own personal CRM, it's, I love it. And it's very customizable too. That's another thing is like, I like getting yes. into the layouts and the fields and being able to report on things. So. Yeah. And it's, from a, you know, Mark kind of going back to the funnels, it's like, okay, if we know that this, this, like this email or this ad is what drove the beginning of this relationship, well then like sales can use that information. Customer success can use that information, right? You know, like there's just, it's, it's helpful for anyone that touches the customer and to get that, you know, call it 360 degree view or as much as yeah. you know, the data yeah. can tell you. Well, and to think of it as a circle rather than just like a funnel 
the three marketing sales and customer success. I mean, I can think of off the top of my head, a couple of insights that customer success can give to marketing, but I mean, do you, do, do, do you find it valuable to not only be able to say, okay, this is how much these leads cost. You know, this is what they, these, these ones converted from this, campaign or um what do they call it channel this yeah. channel versus yeah. the other one but being able to to track it all the way down to like who is actually the the stickiest and who is generating um case studies and champions yep. for marketing like is is that something that you look at as well i mean those are things that I would say usually where I'm coming in, we're building that. Like right. we're we're that is the goal. And in fact, um, something I talk about a lot, and I'll do do it here too, is I do this infinity loop, and I talk about my data driven marketing engine. And while often it's talked about with sales, I do think what we're talking about with customer success comes in as well, where you've got the data that comes in, like whether it's you know on the customer success side, like what's happening with you know, um, you know, how, what are NPS scores, right? You know, like mm -hmm. what's going on with those? Okay. Or utilization or utilization or right. Any of the different challenges that can come in. And it's like, let's bring that data in. And then marketing can say, okay, well, um, you know, we, we want to help utilization by providing, you know, adding, tips and tricks into our monthly newsletter or something like that. I don't know. I'm making mm -hmm. it up. And so then we say, okay, we put the tips and tricks into the newsletter and, you know, maybe the first newsletter we measure it and the second one. And then it's like, oh, wow, utilization's gone up 10%. Then it's like, maybe we put it in a different part of the newsletter, or maybe it's the newsletter only reaches these people. Why don't we try adding it to like, you know, our, you know, in product or we have sales take something out. And then we're like, wow, yeah. we saw utilization go up by 30%. And so this is this like loop where it's like you get the data in, it drives what marketing can do. We like execute on the marketing and then we measure it and it all comes back in. But that is absolutely something that we shouldn't be doing in a vacuum. Like sales should be involved, you know, mm -hmm. customer success and we can all be feeding the data in and looking at the numbers to, to optimize whatever the goal is that, um, the the client um excuse me the the function or the team has mm -hmm. would you say that in a perfect world customer success could also help you better narrow in on an ideal customer profile yeah and i would say that's probably something that happens a lot less than it than it should right i think the oftentimes going back to the, you get a marketing qualified lead in, did it convert into revenue generating? Oftentimes then it's like, and then it's done. Mm -hmm. Right. But, right. But then like, it is a missed opportunity. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this either, but to say, okay, Sarah came in the funnel and yeah, she's one of our revenue generating clients, but like, then she dropped off after three months or then she dropped off after a year or then she only uses this one thing and she's not using yes. any of the other ancillary products. Right. And we don't, marketing doesn't necessarily get that feedback, you know, or like we're not involved in that because it could be to your point, maybe our cost per lead should only be $50 on the Sarah's of the world because you're only using one product where the ICP is really not Sarah, but Sally, because Sally uses 10 right. products. And so if we spend $100 on her and yes. acquiring more leads, that's actually the more, like that is someone that will bring in revenue, but this is really where our sweet spot is. Right. And I do think that that is something that can be done. Um, I don't think it's done very often. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in earlier stage startups too, like th there's not a ton of historical data to begin with. I mean, if you just launched your product this year, then all you can really go off of is who closed. Yeah. But if you're a company like Salesforce and it, God, they're such a behemoth. It's one of the reasons I want to have Dan on here. It's like, there, I just, there's so much going on there. Um, but like, if you have a sophisticated product that has the opportunity for land and expand and different teams using and the and the revenue comes from all of these different 
areas like that should that should inform marketing and but that's also part of like okay so who who gets the credit you know what i mean and and that also comes down to to compensation and everybody's always pissed that sales gets paid the most for deals that you know marketing and customer success probably had a big hand in they also have the most stress and can get cut more quickly you know so it's it, there's there's reasons for it but um but yeah i mean i i don't i don't know that there's a solution for it and i think to your point it does come down to leadership and just how inspiring the ceo is and also if you're part of an organization where like people are respectful of one another and they do communicate and they're all learning and um working towards a similar goal and and I want to say mission driven, but not in the way that like we're going to solve homelessness, but yeah. like mission driven. I was going to say, if if imagine if the I imagine if a CEO came to me and said, hey, Amanda, and I know pretend I'm not fractional, although I guess this is, could hypothetically happen too. But let's assume I'm a full time CMO and he's like, hey, I've got, you know, the CRO and, you know, the head of customer success or what have you, all three of you. Let me tell you, this is how comp's going to work this year, right? And yes, you've got like, you've got the profile of individual contributors, right? And so like the reason they're in those roles is because that's what motivates them. And you've got like all of that psychology, which I'm not even going to pretend to be an expert on that because that's a whole other different conversation. But I think if it's, if there is a piece of the compensation and said, or even the way that it's like, look, my expectation as the CEO is that the three of you are collaborating to solve X problem. And I don't know what X problem is. It could be any handful of the things we've been talking about. Well, then like, I think that gets very different than if I'm saying, hey, head of, you know, chief revenue officer, I need you to bring in a million dollars. Hey, marketing, um, you know, I need you to make sure that they get the million dollars and we go to 10 events or whatever. It's like, you know, and then you say, hey, customer success, keep the clients. And it's like, if sales was compensated because of how long that their client stayed on board or marketing, you know, like, it, I think there's there's ways to look at the goals and it kind of goes back to OKRs or KPIs and, and leadership. But I, I don't think, and I've never been in an organization where they've had a goal like that tied together, at least while okay. I've been CMO. And, you know, I, I don't know if it would work, but it, I think it'd be an interesting experiment to run for sure. Well, and also potentially more of like a rev share component too of compensation, which I mean, most startups that I worked with, they don't, I mean, maybe sometimes you get a performance-based bonus based on the company's performance, but it's typically, you know, your, your variable compensation is based on your own goals yep. within your own department. Um, but to make it more aligned at the top would be an interesting... Yeah. Interesting experiment. I mean, there's always like in startups, there's always some kind of drama. In fact, you know, the show Silicon Valley that was on, I believe it was mm. HBO. Um, love that show. I think that they're and the humor of it was quite entertaining, but it was mostly on the developer side and then like the VC side, like the, the engineer founder guy. Yeah. I think that if you did a like startup with, the the rest of the organization and like there would be so much great content because you've got like finite resources you've got extreme personalities you know you've got this like perpetual cycle of needing to get money and i like the psychology in the background of all that creates for a an interesting array of characters and then people who are like solely passionate about something and you know people that are like very um, you know, narrowly focused on things can be interesting characters. I, I mean, look, Sarah, I've, I've had them all right. Like I, I had a client, you know, I do a lot of branding and messaging, you know, a client that's like 17 versions in this is unpublishable. We can't use mm -hmm. it only to like, now it's been on their website for two years and it's what they're using, you know, like we're like these extreme people, um, I worked for companies only to find out later that there was like a patent infringement based on a, a divorce. And like, you know, there's like compensation owed, um, you know, there's like 
all the things that happen with humans, right? You know, um, yeah. sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's all startups too, right? Oh yeah, I'm oh. a Zenefits alum. I know it. <laughs> so like all like there's some element of that, and I I think part of what I personally try and do is stay out of the fray to an extent, and I can yeah. because of an extent because I'm not a full time yeah. employee, but. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's it's hard to avoid. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, emotions are high. Um, I mean, it's such an intense environment. Like, that's why it's like we all have war stories. And you know what I mean? Because it, it is, it's like this crazy intense where you've got a founder, I mean, generalizing here, but you've got a founder who's like got this idea and they like set their life aside to build this idea. And then, you know, they're like grind, grind, grind. And then they get a little bit of success and like, how do they handle that? And then like, what happens when the next round of funding comes? Um, I mean, if there's, no one's lived it exactly, but if you didn't watch the um, uh, the show about um, Jared Leto played um, Adam Newman from WeWork. I met Adam Jared Leto. He was an investor at Zenefits. Oh, okay. And I have a photo of me. We were both wearing plaid and like Dee Dee. Oh, funny. Little, you, didn't, you didn't know Dee Dee. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. But anyway, he played Adam Newman in this movie about WeWork. Um, Adam Newman, the WeWork oh. And it was phenomenal. And I think like the highs and lows and like how it's almost like becoming famous, right? Like the person you started off before you knew you were like hustling to get bit parts in movies and then you become a big star and like things change. So there's this like weird evolution and to like I haven't been at a company yet that's been like we work but you know like you get you get glimpses of that and like what can happen after different rounds of funding and you know people change yeah yeah well and I think one of the hardest things about being an employee at a scaling startup which is what I experienced when <clears throat> excuse me I I was the 54th employee at Zenefits. And when I left a year later, they had 1,100 employees. Wow. And the people who thrive at an early stage startup are very different people than the ones that thrive at, say, Salesforce. And I mean, I could just, I, I could never keep my cool and like play politics the way that Dan does. And he's just very good at that. Um, and some people can do both, both, sure. But, um, but yeah, that was part of the heartache that I saw and that I think a lot of people see at these, at these really high growth startups is like all of a sudden, I mean, I used to sit next to Parker, the CEO. I sat next to him. He, my dad was texting me once and he thought that it was his dad texting him because we had the same phone, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. and 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 a year later there are 1100 employees so you know it's there's there's almost like a, a a death and a mourning when you go through this hyper growth and you know the 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 things that worked before don't don't work uh quite as well when it's larger and there's the bureaucracy and you need and you need different you also need different levels of expertise and so as i'm hiring or helping my clients hire as they're going through different um, revenue milestones. Yep. Ahead of success from 1 million to 5 million ARR is a, somebody who has a very different skill set than 5 to 15 or 20. And then there's, you know, 20 to 50, 75 that like, and you need somebody who has done it before. And that's another problem is then like, how do you get the experience? Usually it's number two, but, um, but it's, it's a very, and marketing is exactly that way as well is like building, building a reputation from nothing and getting those first customers is very different than like all of a sudden you're Nike and everybody knows your name. Yep. And I mean, that's like, for my fractional business. And one of the things I talk about is, is the importance of niching down. And so like, I'm very specific about where I come in and, and what I do because I know where my strengths lie. And yeah. I, I wish I knew the stat off the top of my head, but I don't, but you know, you can certainly Google it and find, find um, the charts that reflect this, but 
you know, the number of C, like founder CEOs that are there after series A that are there after mm. series B, like though the founder CEOs becomes like a smaller percentage, the more and more rounds of funding exactly back to your point, which is what it takes for someone to like, you know, come up with the idea and the hustle and the grind to do that is different than someone that's like, okay, I built this up to, you know, even 50 million in revenue. Now we want to scale and get to a billion. Well, like that involves like multiple markets, multiple products, or right. you know, depending on what the business is. And, you know, some, some founders aren't equipped to take them from that to the, you know, where they got them to where they need to go. And it's not a, like, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I think if it was mine and I had to give it up, you know, that would be hard, but you know, it's like, it is, it's just a totally different skill set and like the level of expectation and what's needed is, is different at all those different stages yeah. across all the, um, you know, leadership roles at a startup. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I know you have a hard stop now, but, um, well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. Well, it's always good to see your face. And I, I want to, I want to call out that I think, you know, I've taken away here and I appreciate you bringing it up. The reminder that when it comes to the ideal customer profiles to check back in, right. And to get mm. smarter, we're like, cause I, I think that it's, you know, I'm thinking of one particular client where it'd be awesome if we could close the loop and like go back to them and be like, where are things at? So I took yeah. something today too, a good reminder, cool. Sarah. So thank you. <laughs> good. Good. Um, well, always good to, to chat with you. Are you coming to Denver anytime soon? No, I need to. Um, in fact, our usually our sales kickoff call or our sales meetings are in Denver, which is where right. I, I see you. And right. we're doing the kickoff in Austin this year. And so um, I don't know, maybe maybe February or March when? I will be. March. Oh, okay. Because I might do another keynote in, in Austin, the same one I did in New York. Oh, I'm going to be. It's like the um, last week of January. Oh, no. Um, I'll be in San Francisco in June. So. Okay. Well, let's make sure we get together then. Okay. Yeah. We've got some time. Yeah. But I, I should be in Denver in Q1, I would guess at some point, if not early Q2. Okay. And I cool. will, I will let yeah. you know. Let's have another night out. I know. <laughs> Don't get too crazy. I'll try not to. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I, I will talk to you later. All right. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Success Unscripted. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating or writing a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on future episodes. You can find the audio wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to see the video recording, head on over to YouTube. My goal is to bring you stories that educate and inspire you. So if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or you have someone in mind that you think would be a great future guest, don't hesitate to reach out. I release episodes every other Friday, so I'll see you in two weeks.